Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Recovery Scene. I am your host, just a mom of the podcast, Leslie Klepek. Make sure that you hit that like and subscribe button. And remember, please comment um, if you have any questions or comments. You know, Tiffany will definitely look back once I tag her in it and I get this episode up and answer any of your questions. And if you wanna ask questions on the live, go for it. And at the end, I will definitely read your questions and your comments. So I gave it away just a little bit. I have Tiffany Hamilton here and Tiffany is just blowing up, blowing up. And how many followers do you have on TikTok now? 200 and... I think I have 280,000 almost. That's awesome. 280,000 followers. Yeah. So, and then you have an Instagram account too, right? I do. I don't like, I don't have as many followers on Instagram, but I, 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 I haven't been posting as much on Instagram as I should be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, that's okay. So we've got Tiffany here. She is going to um, share her story and it is a powerful one. So y'all just sit back, relax and enjoy. And Tiffany, I'm going to let you take the stage. So I'll start from the beginning. I always start from the beginning. I yeah, I'll start from my mom was a single mom. Um, well, she wasn't even a single mom. She was kind of with my real dad, but my real dad was going away to work a lot. And, um, my stepdad came into the picture and my mom was like sexually abused as a child. She was only about 16 or 17 when she had me. So she was very young, very easily like, you know, influenced. So my stepdad came into the picture and he started like doing all the things for me, taking care of me, walking me up and down the halls at night when I was crying and like essentially grooming my mom and grooming me um, and my family and my, and my grandparents to abuse me. So um, he started sexually abusing me around three years old is when my first memory is. Um, something tells me that he had been doing it since I was a baby. Like something tells me that. And right. I, I don't think I'm wrong. <laughs> I just right. don't. Um, and my son's yelling out. Sorry. It's okay. Um, Trust me, I understand. So it started when I was like, my first memory was three. I, um, I remember my mom saying, come lay in bed. Like, and uh, like she would, she would say, I'm taking off my underwear. And then I would take off my underwear. And then she would say, I'm putting my underwear back on. And then I would put my underwear back on. Cause I thought it was this game that we played. And I guess he thought it was cute and essentially here he is just grooming my mom again and me, you know, um, to abuse me. So he would abuse me like all night on those nights. Um, and then I remember him coming into my room alone around five and that's when like things got a little bit more intense. Like it wasn't just touching. It was like oral. It was a lot of oral at that point, you know? Um, and you know, he would, orally rape me and that was his biggest thing like he always wanted to do that and that one that sticks with me because it was something that that uh I learned to enjoy the feeling of so it got super confusing you know right, I, right because I you're thought a I, kid yeah you know you're yeah, and I, a kid so before anybody goes oh how could you enjoy that you know she's a child I could teach my kids anything I wanted when they're little and they trust me, they think like, this is what you do. And yeah. so if it feels good, you know, well, it doesn't seem like anything is wrong. wrong. Yeah. Five uh -huh. years old, you know, and it wasn't just you either. I mean, and I know for some of you, this is hard to hear, but this is, you know, if it was hard to hear, imagine how it was to have it done. So, um, it's not just you, it, this is generational. 
this is generational. So my, my mother, um, was sexually abused by her uncle. That's like a fact. Um, her uncle was also, uh, sexually abusing his daughters who both, uh, both admitted to it at times. Um, and then they recount recanted and then came back and admitted again and whatnot. And then, um, there's talk that my grandfather, great grandfather was sexually abusing my mom, um, as well. But my grandmother was too scared to tell anyone because my grandpa had a bad temper. Mm. So there was that. And then, so my aunts also have a lot, my aunts were dating pedophiles. They all married, like they all have a kid with the same dad. Um, all of my great aunts. And so something leads oh. me to think that they were probably sexually abused as well. Um, but I mean, I don't have evidence on that, but I do believe it. All of my oh. great aunts. Um, and then um, my cousins were both sexually abused um, by my stepfather. Um, I walked in on him abusing them actually when I was 16 years old. And that was oh, probably, wow. probably something that I struggle with a lot of guilt from a lot of guilt from because well, no, but at, at 16, I mean, at 16 years old, you're probably, uh, you have a little more of the, this, this is wrong kind of thing, but it's almost like it would reinforce like, oh, this is just what we do. Yeah. You know? In a sense, in a sense it did. I, I remember feeling so scared for them. Um, but thinking I can't share my story. I can't share it yet. Like, I can't talk about what happened. I, like it didn't, it just, it didn't, I wasn't ready. Like I wasn't ready. I couldn't share my story regardless of what was happening to them. You know, I was, I was 16, you know, I was just learning that I was abused. I didn't know I was abused till I was 14 years old. I didn't even know it had a name. It was actually, I remember the first time I learned about sexual abuse, it was in class and, um, we were talking about dysfunctional families and it said in some dysfunctional families, children, um, uh, like there was something to do with children having sex with their family. And there was, was this whole thing. There was a whole paragraph in it and it was a religion book. And I remember I walked, I actually got up and started bawling my eyes out and nobody even questioned it after, which I mean, is that must've been a, a blow. Like, wait a minute. This is well, us. I knew that my family was dysfunctional at that moment. I didn't have any other words other than we are dysfunctional. Right. <laughs> that right. was it. So I thought, well, we're still normal. We're just dysfunctional normal. Right. <laughs> if that makes sense. Like I thought we were still this normal family. Right. Your brain is going to, is going to try and, and um, what's the word that I'm looking for? It's going to try and justify it. It's going to try and understand and normalize it. Like, wait, no, we're, we're well, okay. My family had, yeah, my family had been normalizing it. So and then when you read about it, well, it's still like, well, now I'm just reading about what they've already normalized, you know? Right. So it was like such a normal, I, it didn't seem, I, I knew that there was something wrong with my family in that moment, but I didn't know that we were like, it was illegal right. or it was a big problem. Right. So at 16, when I seen the girls being sexually abused, I walked in on him. He was at the end of the bed. The girls were both like side by side and, uh, he, they, one of them was naked. The other one had clothes on and he was wearing his robe and he always abused me in his robe. And I walked in and he came out in his robe really quickly. And it, just like, I'll never, like, I'm like ugh, thinking about it. Cause I'll never forget the poor girls, you know? And right. I just, right. ugh, but I, I well, didn't say anything. Right. What are you supposed to say at 16 years old? I'm you know, you're, you're just still trying to wrap your mind around 
what's happening to you, much less, you know, what's happening to somebody else. But before I interrupted you, so he, he was, he was coming in alone at five and then I'm assuming it just progressed from there, you know, Yeah, when I was eight, he started like penetrating me and, uh, eight or nine. And that's when he was like, um, he, he made like, he would like say you're, you're ready, you know, like more or less, like it was, he would prepare the situation for me. So it didn't hurt. And, um, mm. and then around eight or nine, around, right around that year, within that, those years of eight, nine, 10, my mom walked in on the abuse and like, she walked in, she opened the door. I remember she stepped back. She stood there, which felt like friggin' eternity, but it was like five good minutes staring and 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 then she shut the door and walked away and then life I felt was never the same after that like she was very abusive toward me and it was awful like she became very jealous very angry with me um which is mine to me as a mother I mean there's definitely mental health issues going oh definitely definitely was no normal quote unquote normal mother I mean I he'd be dead on the ground (laughs) Well, I always say, like, I think about that story all the time. And, like, you literally had a perfect opportunity to end him. (laughs) You literally had a perfect opportunity to end him. And you didn't. Like, because that would have been (laughs) self-defense, like, at that point. Right, right. In defense of another. (laughs) And, like, I mean, me, I would have walked and grabbed a knife. Like, I don't know if I can say that, but that's what I would have done. Right. <laughs> right. Allegedly. <laughs> Hypothetically, I mean. Hypothetically. Yes. She, yes. She would. She would. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, she just totally, she walked away and she never treated me the same. She was never really a good mother. She was always very cold as it was before that. Um, but it just, it got so much worse. Like it just felt so, it, I felt the animosity at, at that point, you know, like I felt it. And Right. Right. And, and a couple of your videos, you talk about how it translated into your normal life, well, your normal life, your outside of family life. As far like, as, I think you made a couple of videos about, you went to a party. Yes. Yeah. So when I was like, when I was, I was raped as a teenager. So, um, as a teenager, oh man, I went to a party. I, I, I don't, I don't share this story a lot and it's funny because it's a big part of my story, but it's one of those ones I still live with a lot of guilt from. Um, I was at a party. I was looking for male attention. I'm not going to lie about that. I never will. Um, I was looking for male attention from, from boys. I, Mm -hmm. I, uh, was really, I was, yeah, I was taught to, I was 15 at the time. And I ended up uh, being kind of, I remember, like, I was drinking, so I don't remember specifically, but I remember being brought into a room with these three boys brought me into a room, and one raped me, and he was uh, quite a couple years older than me, and while I thought... He, while, while he was raping me, I thought that I kind of wanted it because I was looking for the attention. So I really live with a lot of guilt mm. in that. But I do know that when I asked him to stop, because at one point I was so drunk that I, I fell over a flat on my face and I asked him to stop and he didn't stop. And he just grabbed me up by my hips and kept going. And um, 
then the next day at school, he called me faceplant and everybody like made fun of me. And I couldn't even go to like my family about it because right. what are they going like, to say? What are they going to say? And then the next two, about two weeks later, I went to a party or I couldn't maybe a month later. I don't even know for sure, but I went to a party a couple weeks later and the same guy did the, and, and three other guys uh, rape me and they uh, drew penises all over my, my body and uh, with marker and they, I woke up on a bed with the doors wide open naked. And I remember little one little time, one time of coming to and, and seeing three guys around me and they were, and two of them were drawing on me and one was on top of me. And I, on that, and then, and then I remember waking up in the morning with the penises all drawn on me. And that right, was right. And before we get any of the comments about why would you go to the same party? Why would you go to that party again? Why would you go anywhere where I, they are? I didn't know I was raped. I didn't even know it was rape. No. And <laughs> I don't care. And I've said this before. I do not care if a woman is walking down the street in high heels with nothing but electrical tape over her nipples, you do not get to sexually assault her. No. You can look yeah. at her like, what the, but <laughs> yeah. sexually assault her. So there is no excuse. There is no, it's your fault because you, no, it, it's oh. absolutely not. Absolutely. And, I mean, I didn't realize it was rape till I was about 24 years old because mm -hmm. I, like I said, I'm still living with a ton of guilt from wanting male attention. So right when you're living with that guilt, you automatically assume it's your fault, you know? And, and that's, and that's where I struggle. Cause I'm like, well, if I didn't, you know, want that, but I was a child and this boy was two years older than me, you know, mm -hmm. like, and I was drinking and he was forcing himself on me. Like, right. and I, and, I mean, you had a mom that was telling you that what your stepdad was doing was your fault. Well, she, she, yeah, she never really talked her, about in it. Her actions and in, in her world. actions. Yeah. You, were, you, you said she was jealous. It was almost like, it's so like you were seducing him somehow at, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11 years old, which is yeah. insane. No. And that's what like, and that's, yeah. And that's the impression my mom gave me. So. And then <laughs> when did, when did you start masking the pain? Did it start with alcohol? Did it start with drugs? How did, how did that come into play? Right around that time I was raped. Um, I was partying a lot, like a lot of partying. My mom <clears throat> wouldn't care. Like she would, she would just let me go to part. Like she didn't care. She didn't care who I was. She didn't care. And when I was about 15, I'm, I started like finding ways out of the house. <clears throat> so that, that's a diff different topic. But when I was 14 or 15, I started experimenting with like weed. And I mean, that, that progressed to alcohol, alcohol progressed to cocaine. I or no ecstasy. Mm -hmm. I started using a lot of ecstasy because that was big in my, in my teen years. Um, and then I remember the first time I used cocaine was, which is my drug of choice, um, <clears throat> was with my brother and we were at a party. My brother and I had sex our entire childhood. Well, a good four or five years of our childhood. And, um, we were really, really close, my brother and I, and we were at a party and I said, uh, we, we did some cocaine and we had talked for the first time. We never really said fully what happened, but I remember saying something along the lines of like, there's some weird shit going on. There's some bad shit going on in our house. And there's like, we had some words, you know, mm -hmm. and it was the first time I was able to really talk about my abuse. So I was instantly hooked. And, um, 
then, you know, I would do it like every so often I would like go to a party and do it. Um, when I came forward, when I was 21 years old, I, um, I started smoking crack and that's when it just got out of control. Right. Because it's progressive. Addiction is progressive. And the, and the pain of losing my entire family that didn't believe me and didn't want to believe that I was sexually abused hurt so fucking bad that I was, I was, I was done. I didn't even want to live anymore. Because you, you went to the authorities, didn't you? I did. When I was 21 years old, I went to the police. I actually had them convicted. Um, four other girls came forward with me. Um, wow. And, uh, yeah, he was convicted, um, of all counts of abuse on all the girls. And, uh, yeah. And I, I started, that was when I really started smoking a lot of crack. <laughs> like that was my worst one of my, that was one of my biggest progress, like one of the bigger progress, uh, progressive parts of my addiction. And the other one was w when I fully isolated myself from anybody that I knew. Right. Because uh, for those that don't know, um, if you don't follow Tiffany's story, your family, like even your, your siblings and everything came out and said, you know, I mean, uh, they didn't even, it wasn't so much. Some of them didn't even deny it happened. They no. said it was your fault. <laughs> like, well, yeah. My brother said to me, my brother said to me, he goes, this is when I, when I got off the phone or when I, when I came forward, my brother called me and he said, why would you say these things? It was so much better left unsaid. And then he said to me, if you weren't such a fucking whore, dad wouldn't have had to touch you. And That's that- insane. And that was my mom's words. Like that was the same shit that came out of my mom's mouth. As far as I'm concerned, like he was literally being groomed by my mom to say this shit. You know, my brother was only 19 years old when I came forward. He was still a kid. Right. You know, um, my sister was 15 years old. And did you know that the authorities never took her out of the fucking house? Never took her oh. out of the house because she was almost 16. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's unbelievable. She ended up getting pregnant like a year later under their roof. I don't know. I don't know. Who knows who the father is? I mean, like seriously though. And the authorities never took her out of the house. That's unbelievable. Now, and now if, if you haven't had your mind blown enough, tell them whether or not your mom divorced this man who is convicted. My mom, my mom still lives with him and supports him to this day. She's literally in my lives every day on TikTok. She actually asked me, she had the audacity to ask me recently if I slept with her husband while I was an adult. I'm not even kidding you. Like that's the shit she asks me. She's totally lost her mind, my mother. And she lives with him and she still lives in the exact same house he raped me in, probably has the exact same bedroom. You know, like... She, and, and now she feeds them new children. Like they all do. All of my siblings do. And so does my mother. Yeah. That's it's, it's the cycle is how uh, uh, people don't understand for lack of a better word, the brainwashing that happened. Yeah. All I, the brainwashing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, there are people out there that just have that ability and it's, it, it's something else. You it know, was extremely brainwashing. Yeah. The brainwashing that comes with it is constant. Um, you know, constant brainwashing. Um, this is like, like your constant, like little things like your, my mom would say, I'm just trying to think to give you an example of something. Well, just for instance, like my stepfather, 
I, at 14 or 15, like I said, I wanted to go to a hockey game. I said that at 14 or 15, I started to find out that it was dysfunctional. So I knew it was somewhat wrong. So I remember I was going to a hockey game. So I, this was in my brain that maybe it's wrong. Okay. So I wanted to go to this hockey game. I said, I'm going, I'm going. And my stepfather said, no, you're not. There's not enough room in the car. You're not going. I said, if you don't let me go, I'm telling everyone what happened and what you did to me. And he goes, you liked it. So it's just as much your fault as mine. And your mother is just going to hurt you when she finds out that you did that with me. And so that brainwashing kept me silent for another seven, six, seven years because I was like, he's right. I liked it. I liked the feeling, you know, like it, it, like it made sense to me. Like I was like, yeah, no, he's right. And, and that was hard. You know, that was like, kept me silent for another six years. I didn't even, I didn't even question him. I didn't even question him. He goes, he goes to, I'm assuming he went to jail. He was convicted. He was convicted and went to jail for, he got four and a half years and served three. Unreal. Unreal. We have, we have so much more 12 years of my life. Yeah. Yeah. We have so much more work to do as a country. So, um, <laughs> so but much. that wasn't even because of how your family reacted and everything. It's like, that wasn't like an um, uplifting victory for you. So your addiction starts to spiral out of control. Now tell us, um, I guess what, where, where did your, your addiction take you, I guess, after that. Okay. So I, um, I met my husband when I was 19 years old. He came from a broken family, like of addiction, a lot of addiction in his family. Um, they're, they're, they're wholesome people and they're really good people. Just a, a lot of addiction, a lot right. of addiction. And, um, people realize good people become addicted. You know, yeah, they're, they're the most wholesome family. They love deep. They just struggle with alcohol a lot. Right. And um, my husband, when I met my husband, he was selling drugs. Uh, they had a lot of poverty as well. So drugs became like a way to like, you know, cope with poverty, right. cope with feelings. Um, my husband was addicted to selling drugs in a small sense. Um, so when I met my husband, he was selling drugs. I met him at a wedding, my aunt's wedding, actually my stepfather's sister's wedding. Wow. And, uh, yeah. And, um, he and I like just met, he was like, so we were so close. We, I moved in right away. Cause I wanted, I was living with my mom at that time for like a couple weeks. Cause I just wanted to get, like, I needed to get out. So I moved in with him right away. Um, and he kind of supplied the drugs for a long time, you know, like we would party together. We would get really, get like, get really high, get drunk, whatever we would do party together all the time. Um, and then when I was 20, no, 21, I came forward. We were partying a lot. One night there wasn't any Coke left, but there was crack because he was selling. Like I said, he was selling crack. So, um, he was like, I got this. If you want to try it, of course I tried it. Like, right, you know, right. I, was, I didn't give a shit anymore. <laughs> so at that point, I remember I wasn't overly hooked on the crack at that point, but I, I like, I liked it, you know, but it wasn't like instant that I was that in. And then when I went away, we went away, my husband and I went away. I'll never forget this weekend. And I smoked it all weekend. And I'll, that was the weekend that just ruined me. Like I was done with it. Like I was just, I needed it all the time. And I started, you know, smoking crack. We moved a lot um then we isolated ourselves we moved to a city in Newfoundland where we didn't have any family and it was just us and our children and uh we isolated ourselves and then I started using needles and um that's when things like 
progressed to like needles. I almost OD, well, I OD'd in front of my son. Like I've, it's taken me like, <laughs> with my kids, it's taken me to some dark places. And right. it's funny that the only thing that would keep me alive, I was fucking just, try, just destroying. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a hard. That's hard. A lot of guilt for that. A lot of guilt for that. A lot of guilt for that. Which kept yeah. me using. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's a horrible cycle. You feel the this guilt horrible guilt that you don't want to feel, so you use to stop this horrible guilt that you don't want to feel. You know, and, and that's why it drives me nuts when people talk about how how could a mother choose drugs over her children? She's not choosing anything. No it's addiction. You I know? was in like there so are. Much Pain. Like I was in so much emotional pain that I, I couldn't possibly even look at my kids. Like I was just so damaged. Like I think about myself and I was, I was just so hurt, you know, like my heart breaks for myself when I was in addiction. Cause I was, I was in pain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what people don't realize, you know, now are there people out there that just should not be parents? I think we've established. Yes, there are hundred percent, you know, but any, and, and, you know, we said this at the beginning, any mother who is that normal mother bond with their children, it's pain because you know, you know, you know, but it's the addiction that keeps screaming at you that you have to have this. And then it's the coping and the medicating and, you know, it's, it's, it's pain. The whole it's thing pain. is pain. It's exhausting. Like addiction, I don't even wish it on my worst enemy. I don't wish it on my abuser. Um, I say that all the time and like, I don't even wish it on him because it's awful. It's like, it's horrible. It's not life. Mm -mm. It's you're existing and, and like, it's just, it's so tiring. (laughs) It's just so tiring. Exactly. Now, when did you guys think, or, or what, what happened, I guess, that you were like, okay, things have, this, things have to change. Um, my older son, who's 14 now, when he was in grade seven, he, um, I caught him smoking weed and I'm, and just at that point, I knew I was sending him down the same path as me. It just hit me. And, um, I said, I'm done. Like, I can't do it anymore. And there was a couple little events like with him, a lot with him. He was, you know, he was very angry with me. He was telling me I was pushing his feelings away. Um, he told me that, which, you know, I'm so grateful that he was able to come to me and tell me, he said, I just can't feel because you, you push everything away and I'm not allowed to feel. And I was at that point, I was thinking, yeah, I don't want you to feel because I don't want to feel. <laughs> like, right. right. I don't want him to hurt because I didn't want to hurt. And, um, all of those things, my son saved our, our lives, really. He saved our lives because, um, I, I got clean because he was going down the same path as me. And when, when I got clean, um, it was October 31st. Um, I let my husband continue to use for a whole month, um, because I really wasn't even sure of where I was. I just, I just was allowing him to live in my house and he was still using fentanyl because my husband's addiction and my husband's um, drug of choice is fentanyl. So um, eventually he got in a car accident. It was mm. a really, really bad car accident a month later. And um, he could have really hurt somebody. Luckily he didn't by the grace of God. And um, he, uh, that day I, I said to myself, you're enabling him. 
Like you need to stop. So I remember, I'll never forget his, his swag after he got out of the hospital, right? He's all proud. Cause you know him, he just doesn't give a shit. He's that kind of guy. I don't care about nothing. You know, he's walking out of the hospital room and I'm like, Ooh, life isn't going to be the same anymore. I said, cause now I said, you got to get out of my house. It's time to go because you can't stop. And then he was like, well, what if I go to treatment? And um, at that point I said, well, if you can stay sober um, in the house until you go to treatment, because this was November, the end of November, and he wanted to stay with the kids because um, his lapse wasn't like a crazy lapse. He had, he was, he was, we, we were slowing down on the use. So I kind of knew he could, he could take, get some clean time before he went to treatment. So I said, as long as you go to treatment in a month. So we went to treatment Christmas uh, boxing day um, last year. And we've been clean ever since. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I mean, he went into treatment. Yeah, he, he's been clean since November, I think 25th or 24th or something. And I'm October 31st. So our kids saved our lives as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that's really cool. And, and he's awesome. Like, I see him. He is one of those rare husbands that you can talk into doing TikToks with you. He, you know, he is like all about, uh, he's such a happy person. Like anybody who meets my husband says like, he's such a, a happy, like he's never in a mood. Like you'll always have this like happy go lucky, like easygoing very like he's hyper as hell like he's got like severe ADHD which I think led him to his addiction (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, he's like always on like speed like he's just like woo but I love that about him you know what like I struggle with like disassociation and something I'm learning in our recovery is that like my disassociation and like my, like I get like I like when I get down I'm really lazy and like I don't want to move and he will bring me up like he'll be like let's go to the gym let's go to the let's go snowboarding let's get outside and go for a walk like he's so energetic that it balances us out in a good way and then I'm like okay calm down we can chill now <laughs> I think we're doing good in our recovery together finally <laughs> yeah that's awesome I definitely want you know, one day if he's willing just to have both of you on and, you know, just talk about what it's like to, you know, be a couple in recovery together. I think no, he'd, be awesome. be willing to. he'd be willing you know. to. Yeah, that, that would be really cool. So if, if you could tell somebody, whether it's a young man or a young woman, you know, what do you want to, what do you want to leave them with? Um, it's, it's, it's okay to share your story. Like that one is big for me. Um, don't let anyone, don't let anyone gaslight you into believing that what you're saying isn't the truth. <laughs> um, that's a big one for me. Um, <laughs> I have a few. Um, if there's any t- little girls or boys who are being sexually abused right now, please, please wipe 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 after they abuse you and put it in a rag and you can um you can give it to the police and that's evidence right yeah right yeah that's uh, tiffany you know thank you so much for just being willing to come on here and share your story with us and and just being so open i mean it can't be an easy story to tell because it's not an easy story to listen to no it's getting easier the more i share it and i mean that's that's also something I wanted to sh- share with people, you know, is that the be- the more we tell it, the easier it gets. Right. And the more right. we feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, 
family finds you. Family isn't always blood. No. You know, your family will find your real family will find you. You know. And- oh, I've I've met this woman on TikTok. Um, and she's like a mother to me. She's like helping me apply for school. She's helped my kids, been to meetings for the school with my kids. Like she's become that's awesome. And like, and she lives so close and we met through TikTok and like, I, I found somebody that like, I can have a role model, you know, like I have a role model that I never had in my life. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. See, that's really cool. So, I mean, social media, not all bad. No, not all <laughs> bad. Know, it's good. There is good out there, you know, but if, if they want to find you, let's say somebody, you know, wants to reach out or maybe they just want to follow your story. Where can they find you? What are your oh, names? You know, I'm at never alone support on TikTok at never alone support on Instagram. And you can find me on Facebook as Tiffany Hamilton. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Tiffany. I really, really appreciate it. That's going to do it for this episode of the recovery scene. Thank you all so much for watching. Those of you on the live, we greatly appreciate you being there. Um, And remember, addiction isn't pretty, but recovery is beautiful. I'm just a mom with a podcast and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.